0: السلام عليك يا ابو عبد الله السلام عليك يا ابن رسول الله السلام عليك يا خيره الله وابن خيرته السلام عليك يا ابن امير المؤمنين وابن سيد المرسلين والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا محمد والاه الطاهرين Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to episode number 26 of Reflections on Ziyarat Ashura brought to you by Mizan Institute. Allahumma al Aba Sufyan Here we have the Ziyarat sending specific la'ans again upon people by name and so we'll have a few names moving forward from here. Aba Sufyan, Muawiyah, Yazid ibn Muawiyah so, this individual, Abu Sufyan, is who I want to speak about a little bit in this episode. He, during the times of Jahiliyyah, pre-Islamic times, he is seen as one of the four greatest nobles of Quraysh, according to some. That if he wished something, like it would have to happen. These four nobles, they were individuals who had the most power and authority. This is Abu Sufyan. Now, I did read somewhere that they had said we don't have too much information about him um, pre-J- pre-Islamic pre times, but this is one of the things that has been mentioned. What we do have though is during the Prophet's time, sallallahu alaihi from the beginning, of course, as we all know, he was one of the staunchest enemies of the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alaihi Now, they will also say that the likes of Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab were harsher on the Prophet, you'll have very bad stories about some of the things that they would do towards the Prophet. But Abu Sufyan, although they say wasn't as um, harsh as those two, yet he was one of the staunchest enemies of Islam, of Tawheed, of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi And so there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of history in regards to Abu Sufyan um, and his involvement in the battles against the Prophet and before the migration of the Prophet wasallam to Medina. Uh, we don't, of course, have time for all of that. I'm just going to go over a few points just to show why in this ziyarah, he is singled out by name and la'an is sent upon him. Now, of course, we do believe that if a person was problematic, did wrong in their life and turned Muslim, al-Islam, Uh, according to that famous hadith al-Islam yajubbu ma qablahu Islam, when a person turns Muslim it makes up for whatever they did before becoming Muslim we do believe in this qa'idah, we do believe in this principle and rule and so just because someone was bad before becoming Muslim doesn't necessarily mean that their Islam is not accepted once they embrace it But at the same time, this is just to illustrate to all of us this individual's past. And then even after becoming Muslim, I want to share with you uh, some of the points that we have in history in regards to him. Before becoming Muslim, right from the beginning, the first battle that the Holy Prophet had to fight was against Abu Sufyan in the Battle of Badr. And there's a beautiful history in regards to that. The Quran speaks about it. The Quran speaks about the divine... Aid that Allah sent to the Holy Prophet in this battle, sallallahu alaihi But at the end of the day, this uh, this uh, Abu Sufyan, he was the one who was trying to uproot Islam from the beginning and just nip it in the bud. Um, they say that after that battle, he set fire to the palm groves of Medina. Like you, you can really hurt a people by doing something like this. You know, um, these are all little things. I'm just mentioning very quickly. I'm going to go through this list. The battle of uhud once again he came back maybe about a year later after the battle of badr and their defeat in the battle of badr how he they tried to come back and avenge their uh, lost ones in the battle of badr avenge them in this battle of uhud and they were that close through the likes of khalid bin walid they were that close to actually destroying the muslims and the heroics of the likes of Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, in the battle of Uhud have been recorded. Islam was that close to getting wiped out in the battle of Uhud. Now, of course, Allah is always the supporter of Al Islam. But the point I'm trying to make here is that this individual wasn't stopping at anything to destroy Islam and to just get rid of everybody who, ha- who had anything to do with it, starting with the Holy Prophet ﷺ. The battle of Khandaq is another example. So the Battle of Khandaq, or they also call it the Battle of Ahzab, is a point in history where you really fear for the Muslims that they were surrounded by many different parties that came together to make one huge army. And these these, these Ahzab or parties that came together, they surrounded Medina. And of course, we've heard the whole story of the trench that was dug around the city of Medina, at least the vulnerable points of Medina, and how this, uh, this siege took long, and so eventually the Mushrikeen had to leave. Once again, divine aid came to the help of the Muslims, and then once again, the heroism of the likes of Ali ibn Abi Talib and other uh, loyal companions of the Holy Prophet kept the Mushrikeen away from Medina, not, not being able to actually breach uh, those trenches and come in. And so we have all those stories there as well. Once again, I don't want to get into the history of all of this. But like at that point, the Quran even speaks about this. Like you you feel like Islam is might be over, you know, because they're coming for everything. They are going to take no prisoners as if and just dis- try to destroy it altogether. This was their last attempt to totally wipe out Islam. And they failed, of course, with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So who is leading all of these armies, all of these battles against the Holy Prophet Abu Sufyan is. I'm mentioning mentioning all of this because I want us to understand that there was a very, very deep animosity uh, against the Holy Prophet against Islam through Abu Sufyan. Because, look, people are not robots, brothers and sisters. It's not like you just flip a switch, all of a sudden they fall in love with everything. They fall in love with Islam. They fall in love with the Prophet That's just not how it works. That is not very realistic. all right. Although that might be the case sometimes, but it's it might be a very minute number of cases. Especially when this individual who has this much hate for the Holy Prophet ﷺ, that when he, he is forced to embrace Islam, he embraces it. Or submits to it, let's say. Not even call it embracing. When is this? This is during the conquest of Mecca, when the Prophet eventually comes to take over Mecca, which this itself has its own history. Why did the Prophet come? What treaty was breached uh, that the Prophet had with the Mushrikeen that allowed him to come and conquer Mecca? That, That itself has its own history. But anyway, the Prophet comes to conquer Mecca. Without bloodshed, he conquers Mecca. And so this individual, Abu Sufyan, he has no choice now. I mean, the Prophet is in has made it in and he has such a strong following now, such a a strong army now and support now, Abu Sufyan and the likes of Abu Sufyan, they find that they have no choice but to give in, but to submit to Islam and to the Holy Prophet When someone is forced into Islam like this, with such a background as Abu Sufyan of hate and animosity towards Islam, these are all going to just add up to the fact that it's not going to be easy for you to accept that this person is going to care about Islam now that they're Muslim by force. And so the Prophet, he marches his way in to Mecca with his army. So here Abu Sufyan says something which is important. The history relates to us. That Abu Sufyan, as he's watching these troops come in, and he's next to Abbas, the uncle of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, it says that he, t- he tells Abbas, he tells Abbas, uncle of the prophet, لَقَدْ أَصْبَحَ مُلْكُ Wow, look at this. The kingdom of the, of the son of your brother, in other words, your nephew, the kingdom of your nephew has really become great now. Like, look at him, look at what he has now. What does this show us, brothers and sisters? It shows that he for him, it's still about just being king, being ruler. Having power and what the scope of your jurisdiction and the lands that you are governing is—that for him that's what it is. And so Abbas, he kind of teaches Abu Sufyan a lesson here. He says he teaches him a lesson of like theology <laughs> of belief. He says, "Look, إنها نبوة." فرد عليه العباس Abbas replied to him, "إنها and that this is uh, this is prophethood. It has nothing to do with being king, and and, and looking at it as a kingdom. Inna han Nubuwa ya Aba Sufyan. Oh Abu Sufyan, you know what this is all about. You know why all of this is happening. It's not because of the power of the prophet, the military power or whatever else it is. It's not about that. It only has to do with prophethood. This man, the holy prophet Muhammad ibn Abdullah, sallallahu alaihi he came with a claim, and that was prophethood. He backed his claim, his character also backed this claim, and Allah aided him. And so as a result, he is in this position that he is now. Where where have you been, Abu Sufyan? <laughs> after all these years of trying your best to fight the prophet, you're still not convinced that there is a divine element in all of this. For Abu Sufyan, apparently it's not. So after all of this, he says, oh look, look at how much power he has now. Look at the kingdom he he's mustered up for himself. That's not what it's about abu sufyan so anyway the prophet comes in and then he says he can take revenge you're the ones who exiled me you're the ones who killed my companions tortured my people he doesn't retaliate though this is the prophet of mercy and his story has to continue for generations and centuries to come and so he is going to be the example of god's mercy here a manifestation of god's mercy here and he says you are all free He lets Abu Sufyan go. Of course, Abu Sufyan had asked Abbas to intercede for him. And so Abbas, according to the historical accounts, he intercedes for Abu Sufyan. And so the Prophet is not going to reject that. And he says, you are free to go. And he says, whoever enters the home of Abu Sufyan has safety. We won't uh, hurt them and no harm will come their way. To the point that, I mean, look, the Prophet is trying to build a community here he says he even gives responsibilities to abu sufyan and abu sufyan he partakes in some of the battles after that or maybe at least one of the battles during the prophet's time before the prophet passes away in the battle of taif abu sufyan loses an eye fighting for the muslims the prophet gives him a bunch of war spoils a lot of war spoils so the prophet is trying to make a point here that look once someone becomes muslim in my books he is just like everybody else. Yeah, of course the prophet won't bring his guard down necessarily, but all in all, all in all, he will take care of those people to, to teach a lesson to the people to those to come to those who come later. That look, this is how I dealt with the people. I was not after bloodshed. I was after just bringing a community together around the theme of Tawheed and oneness of God. Now, as I said, keep in mind, brothers and sisters, people are not robots you can't just flip a switch all of a sudden and they be fall in love with everything that they hated before. So Abu Sufyan, this is what's going on after he becomes Muslim. But then the Prophet passes away. The Prophet passes away and he had sent Abu Sufyan out for certain things to do out of the city. Abu Sufyan comes back. He finds out that the Prophet has passed away. Well, what's the first question that he's going to ask probably? Who is the Khalifa after him? Well, who's taking power after him? And they tell him Abu Bakr, he was nominated, chosen, whatever you want to call it, in saqifa Okay. What is his reaction? Look, this is a person that is seasoned politically, Abu Sufyan. He knows he knows how it works. And so he says, uh, his, here history tells us, and there are some accounts that tell us that he sees, he says, I see a storm coming, a storm of blood, something to that effect. That he understands that this khilafa can be a reason for bloodshed. Abu Bakr is Khalifa? How come Abu Bakr is Khalifa? He gets upset. Now this is interesting. Once again, it just shows that this person was still having his tribalistic mentality. Over there in the conquest of Mecca, he said, Oh, the kingdom of Muhammad is so great. It's not about kingdom, it's prophethood. Here he says, How come Abu Bakr is khalifa? Well, are you what are you upset about? Are you upset that Abu Bakr became Khalifa because Saqifa is not something that is legitimate? Or is it other reasons? No. His reason wasn't that Saqifa doesn't bring legitimacy. But rather he says, Abu Bakr is from the clan of Bani Taim. Bani Taim are a weak clan of the Quraysh. If Quraysh had like 25 clans within it, yes, this tribe of Quraysh, if it has 25 clans within it, One of them being Bani Hashim, one of them being Banu Umayyah. Maybe one of the last ones, if not the last one, the weakest one at the bottom of the list of Quraysh is Bani Taym. Abu Bakr is from that tribe. Why is he Khalifa? Oh, so you're upset that he's Khalifa not for the right reasons. You're upset for the wrong reasons. And so he goes to Imam Ali. He says, give me your hand or let me give you bay'ah, something like that. And so Imam Ali is like, no, 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 no. I know what you're doing here. This is not for the right reasons you're trying to cause a fitna you're trying to cause division ali ibn Abi talib himself kind of had you know stayed silent about this and not made noise now abu sufyan you're the one who's going to feel quote unquote sorry for islam and you want to make some noise about it and give bay'ah to someone else and no no i know what you're doing ali says you are trying to cause fitna i'm not going to be part of that i'm not going to fuel this fire so that's after the Prophet's time, Abu Sufyan, he sees an opportunity to cause some fitna, but Imam Ali stops him from that. And there's lots of, of course, other details in history here that we're going to skip. We move on to Abu Bakr's time. In the time of Abu Bakr, Abu Sufyan is part of a battle of Yarmouk, in in which his son Yazid is a commander. Um, one thing that people, some people don't know is that Abu Sufyan had a son by the name of Yazid as well. Okay, so Muawiyah had a brother by the name of Yazid, and he has some history as well. And he was involved in the conquests of Sham, and he became ruler actually, or governor of Sham. Um, But then he died, I think, uh, from what I remember, there was a plague, and he died, and Muawiyah took his place. All right, so anyway, his son was a commander. Abu Sufyan's son, Yazid, brother of Muawiyah, not son of Muawiyah, but brother of Muawiyah. um, was the commander was a commander in that battle of Yarmouk and in this battle Abu Sufyan loses his other eye they say so now he's totally blind he lost one eye in the battle of Taif during the prophet's time fighting on the side of the muslims and then also another eye in Yarmouk so now he's blind so let's go to umar's time during umar's time once again there is umar ruled for uh, quite a number of years and so there's a lot of maybe details there as well regarding Abu Sufyan and he was alive during that period but one thing that you find is that he tells Muawiyah not to ever go against Omar and just to follow Omar's commands which is an inter- interesting point once again as I said Abu Sufyan was a seasoned politician uh, I would say and so he sees something he sees a potential maybe whatever it is and so he suggests to his son and advises his son to not get into it with uh, the second Khalifa ever. And in this time they also say that Abu Sufyan did some things that got him in trouble with the second Khalifa and so on. So maybe things that uh, going back to Jahiliyyah times that he might have been doing. Here also he kind of commits those kinds of mistakes and sins and whatnot and he gets in trouble a little bit with Umar ibn al-Khattab in there. But anyway, uh, this uh, is during Umar's time. But what's really important is not him and his, uh, what roles he plays in Abu Bakr's time or Omar's time. I'm just going through those two very quickly because I want to make it to Uthman's time. During Uthman's time is where you have a very, very important um, role that Abu Sufyan plays as maybe a, I, I, I might want to say, chief advisor. Or not even chief advisor but let's just say a person who gives some advice to the Bani Umayyah once he sees that the power has come into the hands of Banu Umayya. All right so like kind of maybe let's say if for better for lack of better terminology here let's say he's kind of like a godfather to Banu Umayyah during the time of Uthman's rule. Why do I say this? Because when Uthman became Khalifa, Uthman is of the clan of Banu Umayyah. And so now here Abu Sufyan sees that power has come into the hands of his clan. Oh my God! During the Prophet's time, sallallahu Alaihi wa power, or at least a good amount of power, was in the hands of Banu Umayyah. The Prophet eventually conquered Mecca. And so Banu Umayyah lost this power. But years later, it comes right back into the hands of Banu Umayyah. Of course, not Banu Umayyah like Banu Sufyan of Banu Umayyah. But a person like Uthman, who is of the Banu Umayyah, has power. So Uthman is one of those first Muslims as well, right? And so, okay, it's not like the those who were fighting the Muslims now have power. So Banu Umayyah have two types. Those who fought against the Prophet, those who were Muslim of them. Uthman was one of those. So true power has come back to Bani Umayyah but it's gone into the hands of the Muslimin of the Banu umayyah or those who never fought the Prophet of the Banu umayyah But nonetheless, it is in the hands of Banu Umayyah now. And so there are a few little stories here that I want to share with you that show that Abu Sufyan, in the end, it just seems like Islam never penetrated his heart. Proper belief and iman cannot be attributed to him. This is something that, of course, mainstream Shi'i school believes in very strongly. So for example, history will narrate to us that when Uthman became Khalifa, of course Abu Sufyan is happy. He's blind, he's happy, so he asks, they're in a room, the Banu Umayyah, they're in in a room now together, and he says, is anyone here from amongst us that is not from Banu Umayyah? They say, no, it's all our own people. So here, once he ascertains that uh, you know the, the gathering is a private intimate gathering of Banu Umayyah. He says, he says that look now that uh, this power has come to us, O Banu Umayyah, Ya Bani Abd Manaf, talakfuhah, al kura. Keep this khilafa amongst yourselves. Pass it to each other like a ball. Now, history tells us different things versions of what he has said here one version says that he says uh, pass this to each other because there is no such thing as heaven or hell in other words i don't even believe in these things it's all about khilafah and power another version says that he said "O banu umayyah pass this ball to each other for because i know that this is going to be something that you will pass on to your generations and to your children so keep it within yourselves Things like that he says. Another story says that he goes to the grave of Hamza Sayyid al-Shuhada and kicks the grave of Hamza. He says, hey, look, now can you see that which we were fighting over has come back to us, Banu Umayyah? So it just shows that (laughs) he didn't even understand why Hamza Sayyid al-Shuhada was fighting against him years ago during the Prophet's time and in the battles of Badr and Uhud. This guy thinks that they were fighting over power. Is that what it was? And he says, look, that which we were fighting over has come back to us now. If they were fighting over power, yes, that which we were fighting over has come back to you. But that's not what Hamza Sayyid al-Shuhada was fighting over. He was fighting over Tawheed. He was fighting over protecting the Prophet wasallam. Something much greater than what you think of. It just shows that Abu Sufyan after all these years is the same Abu Sufyan of the Battle of Badr the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of Khanda. That's how he sees things. Unfortunately, Islam never penetrated his heart. And this is something that other companions were aware of. And I'll end with this uh, quote from Abu Dar al Ghifari that it has been narrated as well that he said, uh, after um, Muawiyah accused him of being adu wallah wa adu that you're the enemy of Allah, you're the enemy of the Prophet of Allah, Abu Dar. He says, "Ma ana lillah, wala Bal anta wa abuk I'm not an enemy of Allah and His Prophet. You and your father, Abu Sufyan, are enemies of Allah and His Prophet. Azharatum al-Islam wa al You showed Islam. You announced your Islam. You proclaimed Islam on the outside, while on the inside you hid your kufr. Yes, brothers and sisters, we believe that Abu Sufyan, in his heart, he remained on that kufr that he had when he was fighting the Holy Prophet As a result of that, he is mal'oon in this ziyarah. Allahummal'an, Aba Sufyan. Now I want you to take this and compare it to the likes of Abu Talib Alayhi Abu Sufyan, he n- proclaimed Islam. He announced it but, and didn't really do much for the Muslims. And, and his whole life was against Islam. This person will be taken as higher than a person like Abu Talib who spent everything of his and you can even say, in a, in a sense, gave his life for Islam. The only thing is that he did not proclaim Islam. He didn't announce it to everybody. We believe that he was Muslim. He just hid it. Because if he was to actually announce it, that would cause problems and he would also lose any support he had. And as a result, he wouldn't be able to support his nephew, the Holy Prophet wasallam, the way he wanted to. Take Abu Sufyan and compare him to Abu Talib. Some who are not from the Shi'i school of thought will believe that Abu Talib will not make it to Jannah, while Abu Sufyan, this enemy of Islam, will make it. We seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from having a, such a belief. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. وعلى أولاد الحسن وعلى أصحاب الحسن